God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 94? Yeah, I think so. Belle du Jour. That seems right. Yes, Belle du Jour. Uh, to the great fanfare and celebration of all the listeners, before we get into it, a couple of big announcements for the show. Number one, Matt, now on Movie Pass. <laughs> yeah, we we finally uh, movie pass still not a sponsor, but we're going to still talk about it. Yeah. I guess. Um, and I've finally uh, succumbed to the charm of movie pass and have signed up. I'm a member. I'm sure my card will never come, and I'll be talking about how I got screwed out of this whole deal. Well, next episode. I mean, I think the the, the deal is they they seem to only offer like one package at a time and if they're in the middle of some sort of a promotion which they were doing like a three month thing for like 30 bucks plus you got like a free month of iHeartRadio or something like that so that was their offer and then okay. when that offer ended they brought back the 9.95 a month and you can see unlimited movies in a month again which it's they took hard off to the table that. for yeah a, once a that came back on the table it is one of those things, I do have just like a disorder where it's like, when I feel like I, I, I've missed my window for something, I'm filled with such regret and despair, and I just can't get over it. So then when it, you know, became available with that deal again, I had to jump all over it. So, you may have noticed, no opening clip. That's because this movie that we're doing that everyone's really excited about is in French. That's right. I think we kind of are starting yet another podcast within a podcast. Uh, yes. Instead of give us a Everyone's second, favorite. you know, our mini show series. That's right. Brought to you by <laughs> the greatest moments in the history of forever. These ones, uh, I think so far we included Badlands, Last Picture Show, Picnic at Hanging Rock, and now Belle du Jour. It's kind of our little criterion club. I mean, there's still going to be the regular numbered episodes, and there's nothing really oh, official about it. Yeah, don't it, freak but, out. <laughs> I mean, come on. But we're going to dip into that Criterion Collection and try to expand our listeners' horizons just a little bit. Yes. I've we're we're going to drag you into this one, kicking and screaming. I mean, I was reticent at first to jump into foreign films just in my life. Like, I, I never really had much of an sell. interest. It's a I mean, now I'm all in. Yeah, you got to get obsessed with French women. You have to get the <laughs> subtitles working on uh, multiple items: the TV, the Blu-ray player, uh, well, the us- Roku, maybe. Usually, with the Blu-rays, the subtitles just come on if yeah. it's in another language. Wow! <laughs> all right, so there you go. Not a lot of work involved. But yeah, so as always, follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Uh, make you sure you're subscribed and continue you know telling your friends and spreading the word 
Um, I have a lot of notes for this one. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, we better get through this Twitter stuff, uh, follow the show, because you have pages and pages of notes. This is going to be a tough one for me. I'll, I'll admit something right off the bat. I know none of the character names, except for Madam Anus. <laughs> Anis. That's right. <laughs> okay, so this uh, Belle Jour, 1967 French film directed by Louis Buñuel. That's right. Him. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce all these names, no. but he's done he's done a fair amount of noteworthy uh, Criterion films and whatnot. Uh, this film kind of championed in the last two decades plus by the likes of like Scorsese and stuff, you know, overseeing like a re-release and then the eventual uh, DVD, Blu-ray, and all that stuff. So it's kind of found more of a, an American audience. So let's jump into it. What yes, is this movie about, Matt? Well, I certainly think it's about one's struggles with intimacy and maybe, I don't know, having a certain amount of shame with their own sexuality and maybe a little bit of a duality, duplicitous lifestyle going on. A lot of these things at play, certainly relatable for me. The uh, IMDb description uh, a frigid young housewife decides to spend her midweek afternoons as a prostitute right so that kind of sums it up yeah uh the title of the film is a pun on the french term belle de nuit which is like lady of the night or prostitute but severine our main character works during the day under the pseudonym belle de jour her nickname can also be interpreted as a reference to the french name of the day lily meaning beauty of the day a flower that only blooms during the day yes we'll get into that as we go um so severine's played by the lovely uh catherine deneuve uh, a french actress a real Um, uh looker as they say yeah uh she's kind of got that Icy, cold, blonde, beauty. Which um, I just die over. <laughs> it's very uh, prim and proper and everything. So I, I, I wanted to sp- spend or pay specific attention to the opening two scenes. Because I think those two kind of go a long way as to, you know, revealing what is at the center of this film. Which is like this, this uh, dual nature of our main character and you know her secret fantasy life versus her actual you know day-to-day existence Um, right and i should say as we get into this first scene i mean this was my first time seeing the movie and the opening sequence really does kind of suck you in you're not really sure where it's going and then where it does go you really i feel like weren't prepared for that no particularly me because I I had no idea even what it was about. I assumed because of your level of interest in it that uh, it was certainly going to have some sort of sexual nature and probably on a disturbing level. But <laughs> no, I, I I mean I I certainly was caught off guard the first time I watched it as well. I didn't really know exactly what was going to happen. We open on a serene afternoon setting a horse-drawn carriage ride two horses two coachmen just a lovely uh romantic outing yeah between between our uh featured couple a young husband and wife out for a nice relaxing ride um we hear the jingling of bells from the horses 
a sound cue that over the course of the film will become we'll more and more familiar. Many times, yeah. These this couple is Pierre and Severine. Um, they're kind of having a banal dis- discussion, uh, de- you know, kind of generic declarations of love towards each other. Yes, it's very sweet. But then Severine turns kind of cruel and cold. Although I will say, you know, pretty mild by today's standards. Well, but she pretty kind mild of, for the turn that Pierre has. Right. Suddenly, kind of out of nowhere, Pierre has the driver stop, and then Pierre and the coachman physically remove Severine from the carriage and start dragging her through the woods. And it's like, what the hell's going on? I mean, you don't know where. All of a sudden, she becomes like very apologetic, and you don't really know what for. But yeah, things but, are escalating quickly. Right. <laughs> we don't understand what's happening. And it's almost like these two dudes that have been driving the, the stagecoach or whatever it is... Uh, are in the employ of Pierre. Yeah, you seem like. like this is like some sort of secret plan that's now being enacted. Right. Yeah. You know, she's screaming, pleading for the men to stop, calling out for help. They're calling her slut and various things like that. Yeah, it's all pretty uh, hot. She definitely she's <laughs> <laughs> certainly. She says I can explain everything. Suddenly, you know, some point in the woods, her wrists are bound together and the rope is like thrown over a very tall branch of a tree so that her arms are above her head. Pierre rips down the back of her dress and unsnaps her bra, exposing her back. And the uh, two driver dudes start taking turns whipping her. Yeah, he give like Pierre gives them a signal or something. He says something, and then the carriage men begin to use like the horse whips that they were using on the horses. At some point, she exclaims, "Pierre, please don't let the cats out." The first of many references to cats. <laughs> uh, right. Pierre tells one of the coachmen, "She's yours now." <laughs> and the coachman begins to remove his clothing and starts to kiss the back of her neck. I, I am just stunned watching this. I, I was really not expecting it to launch into this whole sequence right out of the gate. And then as that's happening, Severine appears to begin to enjoy it, and her face is like an expression of ecstasy. Oh, boy. Before... This is going to be tricky. It's <laughs> It snaps back to reality, and we realize that this opening scene is all... Uh, a fantasy sequence in Severine's head. Right. And it transitions to a bedroom scene between the same young couple, husband and wife, Pierre and Severine. And I think it's important here because this initial bedroom scene kind of provides like a snapshot of what their marital life is like. They have separate beds. Yeah. And just a real hell for Pierre. Right. It's like, I, I don't know what sort of, we don't get, any backstory on their relationship pre-marriage or anything like that. So we don't know what was going on, but obviously, you know, Pierre had probably some bigger aspirations for their relationship. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we find out that it's their one year wedding anniversary and then Pierre climbs into her bed, but she stops him. Uh, No, thanks. Yeah. And, you know, I think the implication here is that she is still a virgin despite being married for a year. She's, adverse well, to taking her time she's yeah. adverse to any uh sexual encounter even with her own husband and it it kind of you know introduces this idea of like uh what i kind of made in my notes as like the three v's which is like virginity equals virtue equals value okay and that's kind of the idea that we we see play out throughout the rest of the film is that the men in severine's life kind of 
put her on this pedestal of virtue. Um, I don't know that anyone other than Pierre is aware that she's not even having sex with her husband, but she's got this image that she's projecting. Yeah, imagine if that got out. (laughs) There'd be Uh, some whispers around the country club. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's important to her to maintain this value, and it kind of speaks to the idea of a woman's value being tied in with her virtue, and once her virtue has been taken by having sex with a man, that she holds no further value, and it's you know clearly like a commentary on uh, that kind of mindset. And then, of course, Severine is the extreme example of she doesn't even want to have sex with her own husband because we don't know exactly why. I mean, it seems like uh, the normal thing would be maybe possibly like a fear of sexuality. Oh um, yeah, she's kind of. Uh, later in the film, we kind of have like a, a religious flashback to may, what seems to be some sort of strict Catholicism kind of thing. So it's it's clearly tied up, um, and her ideas of sex are kind of have been warped by you know society's standards of the time. It's kind of a fun character study to see uh, the woman character having some degree of sexual dysfunction. Certainly, I mean, obviously, we're not here to slut shame or. Uh you know, pick on anyone's kinks or well, right? Yeah, and I mean, but obviously, there's an issue when she can't be intimate with her own husband. And as we find out as the movie goes on, she's kind of willing to open up. Yeah, with these there's strangers. There's clearly like a stark contrast within the psyche of of Severine uh, between her very strong sadomasochistic fantasy life versus literally the most chaste reality imaginable. Uh, yeah. Which is complete abstinence, even in a intimate, monogamous, monogamous, committed relationship, and it's like this struggle of the of uh, her dichotomy, which kind of pushes the the film forward. So we skip to imagine like Pierre's life. It's like a lot of dudes like kind of giving him the nudge, like, "Oh man, you must be having like quite a time," and he's like. You have no idea. Yep, I'm living the dream. Yeah, I mean, on the surface of it, Pierre, you know, seemingly has it all. I mean, he's like young a doctor, and right? very good looking. He's like a Ken doll. And yeah, he's a, a doctor. And clearly, they're very uh, upper class and wealthy. Yes, they have and he a, has a beautiful young wife. And I don't know, a maid or whatever. Right. So we, we cut to a, a ski trip celebrating their uh, anniversary. And we meet Renee and... Uh, Henri Hussan, who we're going to just call Hussan because that's kind of how they Renee refer to him. The Hussan are together? I, I don't... They seem to be dating, but it's kind of a, a casual thing. And yeah, Hussan Renee kinda, is not always super thrilled with him. Right. Because he kind of shit talks him at various Hussan points. kind of openly talks about how he's a bit of a, a womanizer. Right. It seems like he's got kind of this reputation as kind of a, an older guy who's like a little bit of a creep. <laughs> but you know his bullshit probably works on some women. Severine Apparently. having none of it, right? Hussan kind of shamelessly comes on to Severine throughout the film, but it, he's supposed to be Pierre's friend, I guess. Again, this is a situation where we don't know much backstory between the two, but he claims to be a friend of Pierre's, although just sort of relentlessly pursues uh, Severine. Kind of another contrast is the differences between Pierre and Hussan. Both of them kind of hold Severine up in this high regard. Like I said, they kind of put her on this pedestal, and it kind of it, it impacts Pierre, ha- Hussan, Zach, 
Matt. <laughs> it kind of affects like how Severine thinks about things. A lot of people and putting how, her up on that pedestal. It, it impacts, you know, how Hussan will act later in the film, but it also kind of furthers that gap between husband and wife because uh, right. that pedestal uh, is not really a healthy way to you know approach any relationship with anybody oh, because certainly it's, it, to live in one is just not a great way to carry on i mean i think you got to try to balance that out at some point i think usually in a situation like this we would be seeing that kind of relationship from the person putting the other person on the pedestal's perspective right. but instead we're seeing it from the person who's on the pedestal and it's almost causing her to be more frightened of she's losing a, her virtue. Right. It's weird because she doesn't it seems like she's kind of timid. She doesn't really talk a lot at times. Right. Um so, yeah, I mean so she's, she's like on the pedestal but also sort of she's shy. very reserved. Right. Yes. But she does kind of I, I think in this initial conversation a silent cockiness to her though maybe. Well, I think it's in this initial conversation where uh Husan says that she's beautiful and she's just like uh, she's basically just like Yeah, yeah I don't no want shit. she's like shut up. I don't want to hear this. Like I don't like you. So then we cut to a cab ride between or with Renee and uh, Severine, and Renee tells Severine about a mutual friend of theirs, Henrietta, who has become a prostitute. It's an odd conversation because it does seem like, I mean, as we've pointed out uh, with Severine and Pierre, and certainly their lifestyle, the characters in this movie certainly seem to be of a upper class or upper middle class, and it's like. Just a chick that they know and kind of associated with became a prostitute. It's just an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of unclear. It might be somebody. I mean, we don't know what the, the Maybe relationship she dated is. Like a fellow well, doctor. Re- you know, Renee and Severine maybe have been friends for a long time before Severine married a doctor, and maybe okay. she hasn't always been of like the super high class. I don't, we don't know. It's up to speculation. And it does seem that there, you know, in France at this time period, there seems to be more of a lax feeling about prostitution. That's kind of different from even maybe 2018. What a time. <laughs> but I, I did like the cab driver chiming in who seems to be like a, a whorehouse <laughs> the most expert. Wanted uh conversation ever. I mean, it's like taxi cab confessional, but the driver is uh, going into business for himself here. He's making the show all about him. Yeah, and I mean, it's clear... No shame in sharing how much knowledge he <laughs> has on the prostitute world. It's clear almost immediately, though, that Severine's interest is peaked here. I mean, it's, you know, it's not a subtle thing. We She's can like, kind yeah, of see the look on, on her that? face. And then we get a glimpse into her past and, you know, maybe given our one and only clue as to where some of her dysfunction may have come from, which it's real, is... It's quick, but it's uh, impactful. Yeah, I mean, it, and honestly, they don't need to show you much for you to understand what this is. It's clearly some older man. It could be an uncle. It could be someone working on her parents' house, somebody who is kind of touching her as a young girl inappropriately. Now, it's not... He's not like you know touching her breasts or in between her legs or something, it's, but it's it's like it's, puts his hand on her shoulder. Or yeah, something, and he's got so, her like kind of up uh, against his body, and it's like this is clearly heading somewhere dark and a little bit chilling. Yeah, so it's very brief, but we kind of that's our one glimpse into her past to understand maybe a little bit more about her. I did like the scene though after this where Severine asks Pierre about quote those houses. 
And, you know, Pierre kind of admits to going to these places, these houses of prostitution, He's before like, well, knowing yeah, I mean, Severine. And I may have taken a quick jaunt to the uh, establishment down the street. I, I did make a note. I was like, I don't think Pierre ever stopped going, honey. If you're not oh. giving this... <laughs> I mean, you've been married for a year and you're not giving this up. I mean... I'm pretty sure he's still a regular. He's making some stops on the way home. <laughs> but his description of it is kind of funny. He he says, well, you go in, the women are there, you pick one, you spend half an hour alone with her, and after you leave, you're depressed all day. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, is not unlike... Yeah, that, I forgot about that. That is one of my favorite like lines in the movie. <laughs> That's not unlike most of my sexual encounters of my lifetime, and they weren't even with prostitutes. Right. At least not ones that you paid. Um. It is fun, though, as we get into this world, because this is certainly not the Bunny Ranch from that HBO series. I mean, we're getting some decent... It's a decent crew working at this place. Yeah. And, so, I mean, it should be said that, like, Catherine Deneuve is, like, basically, like, a living Barbie doll in this movie. I mean, they dress her up in, like, these very... They're very prim and proper outfits, but it's just, it's like a fun game of dress up with her. She's wearing great clothes, great shoes. I know, like, Bunyal was kind of a foot fetishist, like uh, Tarantino, lots of shots of her feet and shoes. The characters in the movie can't stop commenting on how good she looks and how uh, nicely dressed she is. Yeah, her little. Uh, Everyone wants to get their hands on her jackets. Her little tennis outfit in the next scene is, like, unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And she actually has a brief encounter with Henriette, the the woman that has become a prostitute. She doesn't talk to her about it, but it's almost like, hey, remember this? Like, it's in your face. Right. You're thinking but about it. But that is one of those moments where you, you see the, the girl that they were talking about earlier, and you're like, wow. <laughs> She's a prostitute? <laughs> well, yeah. And Hussan, this is back at like the kind of like a tennis club or known? something. Hussan lingering as usual, and he's all over Severine shit. And he's like basically trying to kiss her and touch her, and she's like, just what like the in fuck? the middle of this country club in the middle of the day. And he starts talking to her, you know, kind of proving that he's also like an expert when it comes to these houses. And uh, he ends up providing <laughs> no the, shame from any dude no. in this movie. He ends up providing the address of a place that he frequented, I guess, at some point, and. It's kind of clear here, to me at least, that Hussan is seeing or sensing something in Severine here that he's he's not just giving her this address for no reason right. and giving her the name. Yeah. And it's like when we find out later, and I don't want to jump ahead yet, but when we find out later what the impact Severine's choices have on Hussan's opinion of her, you have to ask yourself: Could he not see why, the writing on the wall here? A why bit? does he do this if yeah. he if this is going to like continue or if this is going to completely change? Well, it could his have been perception. one of those things where at first he was kind of thinking like, "Oh my god, is she like into this? Like <laughs> this could be my chance." But then when faced with the harsh reality of it, he's like, "I'm not. A, this actually kind of makes me sick." <laughs> <laughs> makes me sick. So the so she goes to she you know we she can't fight this temptation and she goes to this address to visit uh, Madame Anise. It's clearly a mental struggle with her. Uh, this is when we get the religious flashback, and I mean I think it's important to note you know based on what we've learned so far, she is still a virgin and she's possibly entering the world of prostitution, which seems kind of insane. Uh, combination. So she goes and sees this uh, madam, 
and she talks Madame to her Anise, for a bit. Uh, right away is like, oh yeah, this is a top prospect. We got a money maker here, right. and you know she leaves, and she's supposed to come back, and uh, you know this is like fully now embracing uh, her own duality, her two worlds, and it's you know you have to wonder is like is she thinking that this lifestyle and this choice will reconcile those two worlds will this give her what she's craving and not able to fully express to her own husband so far in the film we've only had the one fantasy sequence so we don't know how deep this is with her but clearly something is not clicking between what she wants and what she has in her life it is weird though because it's like you do understand the like hidden desire the temptation or the interest of this world but it does seem like once you're thrown into it i I mean that's gotta be a big leap to take yeah and i mean i think for the sake of you know keeping the film at a reasonable length uh, some things are kind of slowly easier into it so some things are kind of like you know the timing of some of the these the these events seem kind of smushed together and it seems like she's making decisions kind of quickly but she does return and we meet the two other girls uh Matilde and Charlotte and they're a fun pair. Yeah, I mean this place is classy as fuck, really. Right. I mean it seems like <laughs> I mean a, it is like a high class whorehouse. Yeah, it, it, and it's a fun work crew. I mean when there's not dudes coming in off the street to get a little something they're all just kind of hanging out, having some laughs, enjoying each other's company. Yeah, I mean, you you're not sure exactly how she's how Severine's going to be embraced by Matilda and Charlotte, and, and you're like, is this going to be one of those things where the other girls are resentful or mean or something? But they're not. I mean, they they seem pretty nice, and they want to borrow her clothes, and they keep complimenting her, and it never there's never any turn to that. It's right. like even Madame Anise is fairly nice i mean it doesn't seem like there's much of an issue madame anise i mean she seems like uh sexually attracted to uh severine yeah they do have kind of a weird kiss early on which is maybe not just super like open mouth or anything possibly it's just a french thing i don't know (laughs) so they decide you know they decide that she's going to be named belle de jour because she only wants to work afternoons from 2 to 5 p.m and she's very to visit a whorehouse. Yeah, she's very adamant that she has to leave at 5 p.m. Just make a quick run over on my lunch break. <laughs> yeah, we were like, you know, let's just get our checks direct deposited right over to <laughs> Madame Anise's place. That's I right. mean, good Lord. I mean, I will say they do have like a regular clientele. Right. And when uh, everyone so- kind of knows the kinks of each dude. Yeah, when Severine first shows up, to work mr adolf is there and he's like a regular and he's already with the other two girls uh severine is kind of put in a position to join the party they're kind of you know the girls are kind of wearing like bras and underwear it's not like you know this is 67 it's not like you know yeah, a large van trier film I right. mean, everybody's <laughs> Where you're just overwhelmed with the nudity yeah it's it. it's pretty chaste yeah. um classy i would say yeah and they're kind of drinking champagne and doing all this stuff and mr adolf he kind of wants to have some alone time with the new girl belle de jour and she if she at first is very reticent and and kind of resisting his advances and she and and so madame anise takes her into the hall and is just like you're doing fine whatever blah blah, blah and i'll get back in there and she's still madame kind of anise, resisting uh, constantly having to give these little like pep talks to get her 
get Severine back in the game. So then she kind of pushes her into the room and kind of orders her to do it. <laughs> and then Severine's... Two very different coaching styles at play. And all of a sudden, like, something clicks with Severine, and she's just like, we, oui, madame. And it dawns on Madame Anise that she need that Severine needs, quote, a firm hand. Meaning, like, she's kind of craving somebody to be in control and tell her what to do and kind of be a little forceful. And Mr. Adolph... Severine and I both, really. Mr. Adolph kind of finds the same thing, and he's like, oh, so you're into the rough stuff or whatever, when she's kind of resisting again, and he kind of just throws her on the bed, and then she's kind of, like, all into it all of a sudden. It's kind of like a... this. It's strange that this movie... It, at times, it's like you kind of have to dig below the surface to understand why this movie is kind of held as, like, a kind of a, an important feminist piece because it's like, what kind of message is this sending? Well, it's that's like, the thing. You have to I, be forceful yeah. with this woman. But it's like, the true nature of this movie is this woman is taking control of her own sexual desires and stuff. But like, and really like her own life because before this, she was very unfulfilled, just a stay-at-home bored. nothing. Yeah, right. she was a bored housewife, rich, young, and beautiful, but like not happy. And this is like her searching out her own thing. So it's kind of unclear if she actually fucks Mr. Adolf. Uh, we'll get to that later. But she returns home and burns her underwear <laughs> in the <laughs> fireplace. And I was just like... Which I, you've also done before. Yeah, I've definitely had some underwear that needed burned for various reasons. <laughs> uh, she fakes sick. And then, it, you know, so she doesn't have to go out with her husband that night. They had dinner plans. And then we kind of segue into fantasy sequence number two, which uh, we have the returning bell sounds and Poussin and Pierre are kind of by a, a fire out in like, it seems almost like a Wild West scenario. This is like really dark where this goes. <laughs> There's some talk of cats and they talk the more cats resurfacing in various out of context ways, like talking about her schedule at the brothel and they throw in like these uh, obscure kind of religious terms, and then it kind of like pans over when Hussan's like, "Where's your wife?" And he's like, "Oh, she's over there." And she, once again, she's got her, she's tied up with her hands above her head, similarly to the first fantasy. And then they begin. And actually, at first it's, you're like, "Okay, I kind of like where this is going." And as Pierre watches, Hussan kind of like takes mud and shit and just kind of throws it at her with a shovel. And then you're like, okay, now this is really relatable to some of my relationships. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's covering her beautiful white clothes that she's wearing and hitting her in the face. And, you know, Hussan is calling her like a slut and a whore and a tramp and all these various insults. And you're kind of like, okay, you know, we're <laughs> we're really getting into what, okay, yeah, what is... What is going on in this girl's mind? It is not just like she's into some light spanking. She's no, some, she needs to be fully degraded to yeah, have a good time. Some darkness there. <laughs> well, I see what you mean, and it, it's hard to not say that you know use things like dark or fucked up or whatever. But you know, far be it for me of oh, all people to kink, to kink shame someone. I mean, <laughs> I mean as long as. But definitely not on this show. I think, you know, this movie kind of pushes boundaries, especially for 1967. And I think kind of the idea here is that as long as we're talking about, you know, consensual acts between adults, I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I don't think that it's wrong that she would want to feel this way. As you always say, it's just thoughts. <laughs> you can't get arrested for thoughts. <laughs> Oh boy, this is um, gonna be a. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we cut back to her returning to Madame Anana, Anana, Anissa's, and it's clear now that some time has passed. Uh, she didn't come back the next day. She took, I think, like over a week to come back. Yeah. But was there ever a doubt right. that, that Madame Anise would welcome her back with I mean, open arms? On. I mean, yeah. she sees the potential here. So then they throw her into this scenario, which I just don't understand why they thought this was a good idea. Uh, this guy comes in that they call the professor, and he's got some elaborate bullshit going on. And I don't know why they think that she can handle this. I mean, I get that it's not sex. Like, she's not going to have to get fucked. Yeah, but, but this is a very specific to, she, need. Yeah, they don't tell her what the deal is. And so I she, mean, why would she know what part she's supposed to play in all of this? Right, and I feel like you, you would need some uh, role-playing sessions to kind of get used to getting into this character. I mean, At least be like... She's, do this at this point, do that at that point, well, yeah. or whatever, and, I mean, and she just doesn't know anything. only used to playing herself. I mean, this is not a character that she would be used to. Yeah, the professor wants to go through this whole thing where he like works for the woman and messes up, and she wants to fire him, but he does, He begs her not to be fired and says that she can like whip him and step on his face and spit on him and insult him and all this stuff. He's like, and she's it, no good. And I think it's kind of interesting that they gave us this sequence here because I think it's interesting to note that Severine seems almost incapable of playing the Dom. Right. And she is the masochist in her fantasies. And this this kind of scenario, I think, disgusts her. I mean, she says that to Madame Anise. And yeah, I she's think, like, this disgusting pig. And on the Well, she didn't say that. But on the surface, <laughs> you could be like, oh, she's just lying. She's just saying that, that she doesn't understand how someone could sink so low. And maybe her terminology isn't great there because we know what she thinks in her own head. But I think the reality is it does kind of disgust her to see someone doing that that's not her like right she doesn't she just completely can't accept this situation where she's not the one being degraded like even in a play fantasy world like she's not a great prostitute because she's not she doesn't really pretend anything she has to have used to being on that pedestal she has to have her well no i mean a pedestal would work for that but she she doesn't want that i think is the thing she doesn't want to be on the pedestal. She wants to be the one laying on the ground being spit on. Right, but I think that's what I mean, though. She's used to like getting her way and kind of everyone just bending their will for her. I mean, her husband is completely fine with her not having sex with him. Well, yeah, I do think that we should maybe talk about that, like her husband, Pierre. Um, I do think that you can read into this that Part of her issue is that her husband is almost too perfect. He, which is annoying. This I will is a say. time. Let, let's put all the cards on the table. I mean, this Please, is a, a time period where a man would expect sex from his wife. Oh no, and, pull him back. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't think it's a stretch to say that in 1967 that you know people would not bat an eye at him hitting her or forcing her to have. You sex. think maybe dudes were less woke at that point undoubtedly yes okay. and i think especially within a marriage controversial statement certainly, her but wifely duty is to have sex with her husband you know in that mindset and she's not fulfilling those and so the fact that he is so nice to her and understanding and patient makes and her double down on he's it she's good like, looking Fuck you. and rich and kind and, and so perfect that he she is probably terrified to admit 
to this husband of hers what she's thinking about, both because it would be inappropriate for a prim and proper woman to be thinking these things, but also because he is so virtuous that she is afraid of what his reaction would be. You know what I mean? Like he maybe wouldn't be able to understand something. So, you know, far from the norm, a, a part in the movie, a certain scene that we get where it's almost, and who knows, maybe it's kind of meant to spin as like a justification for her, but it is almost portrayed as if like, maybe she's doing this to be able to be intimate with her husband because all of a sudden there's a scene where she's like, come lay in bed with me tonight or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually she's, it does seem like she opens up possibly sexually with her own husband. We, you know, because of the times, like despite the fact that this movie is about prostitution and has like all of these like sadomasochistic overtones and everything, you know, they still kind of dance around the actual act of sex a lot. But before we get there, yeah, let's, not stray from the notes. The, the second encounter that she has is with this, or after the failed encounter with the professor, uh, she goes in with this uh, large Asian man who has this mystery box. And he yeah, opens kind of the, very jolly dude. Yeah, he doesn't speak French, so he's unable to communicate with Why the women. Why he hangs out at this French brothel, unclear. Well, he's probably you know there for business or something, and he wants to get a nut. He's so. there for business frequently. <laughs> So he shows the box to one of the other girls. I don't know if it's Matilda or Charlotte because I don't really know which one's which anyway. He went anyway. there for business once, told his family he was never coming back, <laughs> bought an apartment next door. The girl that he shows whatever is in the box to is kind of like, huh? Like, no. <laughs> but he shows it to Severine and she seems down for whatever oh, it is. It's kind of like this, there's like a weird buzzing sound. And he also has bells on his fingers. Right. Which is kind of weird. And we're hearing that noise. And it's very similar to the the bells from her fantasy sequences. And obviously that jingling of bells, of like horse bells or whatever, is kind of a trigger for her. We never get really... I mean, we should say right now, there's never an explanation about the bells or the mention of cats. It's just seemingly that... There's a fetish, fetish, uh, fetishization of like normal everyday things. There's certainly some sort of triggers for her or yeah. recurring uh, themes. So she definitely has sex with the Asian man because we we see the maid of the brothel picking up some like a white towel with blood on it. We assume that she's lost her virginity, which kind of brings into question what happened with Mister Adolf right. from the beginning. That makes it really unclear with that whole scenario, but. Uh, Unless, yeah. of course, the Asian man was going back door, and that was like her first backdoor entry. Which we're not going to rule out. <laughs> Although, to think of like bleeding from that is horrifying. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's the implication. I don't think so either. <laughs> but it seems like she did somehow she avoided having sex with Mr. Adolf. I don't right, know. And maybe he was, it was real a, aggressive, too. I mean, maybe it was a blowjob situation. I don't know. Maybe he got a little too ahead of himself, a little too worked up. Yeah, well, it seemed like he had already gone with the other girls, so I don't know. Maybe he couldn't. That's it seemed like kind yeah, of an older, been, right? Not a lot of, shape, of uh, Viagra no. going around at the time. So this segue after her encounter with the Asian man and his mystery box, which we never see the inside of. It's very Pulp Fiction esque. Like we don't know what's in this box, but whatever it is, is something erotic to this man and that severine is able to get on board with we don't i guess what, yeah. whatever it is is whatever you want it to be i think uh bunyal said you know after the fact uh fantasy sequence number three then 
And this one is, in a way, kind of the most disturbing. Yeah, I mean, the movie certainly goes it's, on a different path for this sequence. It, it, it definitely lacks the kind of violence of the first two. So, you know, maybe it's less triggering for some people. But this is a bizarre scenario. So and elaborate, I would say. Yeah, it's weird that you would even, from the perspective of the woman, it's weird to even imagine coming up with this scenario. And even the uh, logistics into organizing the whole thing. So, she, in her fantasy, she's sitting outside at like an outdoor cafe. A man arrives on a carriage with the bells. We see that the two men driving the carriage are the returning coachman from fan- the first opening fantasy. The man wants her to come back to his house and play a part in some sort of a, quote, religious ceremony. Uh, he does mention death, so it has something to do with, like, a funeral. Where to, Severine? <laughs> yeah, like a funeral type thing. And uh, we kind of cut to her back at the house. She's taking her clothes off. This is, like, the only brief nudity of the entire film, really. Well, she's wearing, like, that lace see-through mm-hmm. gown. There's, like, a guy who kind of reminds me of, like, Paul Schaefer. Because he's got like okay. a bald, he's bald and he's right. got his sunglasses on indoors. It's a weird look. Yeah, it's kind of an. He's almost like a butler, but he's wearing like pre Oakley like looking an sunglasses. Ominous uh, aura to him, and he's helping her like change out of her clothes into whatever this weird headdress gown thing is. That's like very uh, sh- sheer, see through material. And basically, she just lays in a casket and pretends to be dead and the man who invited her there comes in and and speaks to her corpse you know she's still alive but speaks to her corpse as if she's his daughter uh she is his dead daughter now which is also bizarre because it's like okay so your daughter is dead and she's in a casket and you want to be able to see her tits how many of (laughs) your ex-girlfriends have experienced this (laughs) none I just and then he goes. Uh, I, I think almost like the implication is he gets under the casket and starts to masturbate or something. We don't really know what he. Does. I guess because she's kind of like yeah, confused he, and then she like looks over the side he and he's like under under the ca- uh, under the casket and then the scene kind of cuts away. Yeah, and then the Paul Schaefer dude just kind of casts her out like, <laughs> he's like trash. Get the fuck out of here! But before that, he actually mentions the cats too, and the the dude is like shut up or whatever. He's like, should I let the cats in or something? I don't know. Something about yeah, cats. So there we go. And then she's like thrown out of the house in the pouring rain, still basically like, I don't know. Did they let her change? I guess she was back in her clothes. I don't know. She's um, loving it though. So Hussan reappears back into Severine's life. He tries to see her at her house. She kind of doesn't want to see him, which she's is like, kind of enough. funny. But this segues immediately into another brief fantasy sequence and... This is the closest that the fantasy sequences have come together. And this one is so bizarre that I don't even understand what's happening. I don't remember the next she basically, one. What is it? She goes under the table at back at the ski resort. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Renee and her husband, Pierre, are sitting at the table. Hussan and Severine get under the table. They talk about mailing a letter and opening a letter and all this weird stuff. And he breaks <laughs> a bottle at some point. Oh, that's right. Like, breaks it in a way that... Uh, two bit does in the Outsiders movie when he's ready to get into a rumble. <laughs> yeah, good pull. But it's like I saw online; it was like basically she's fucking Hosan in front of her husband is the fantasy. And I guess okay, maybe well, I they like wanted that. to make it seem weird, little cuckolding. Yeah, Pierre. Well, that's the whole thing. Is at this point, Pierre basically is being cuckolded every day now. Right, but he's not aware of it. Not yet. No, but that is kind of the idea. Yeah. So now. 
the rest of the film kind of takes this bizarre turn. We get the introduction of two characters, uh, Hippolyte and Marcel, uh, who kind of change the dynamic of this film. Because up until this point, it was just kind of a recounting of a day-to-day Yeah, thing. very casual uh, day of a prostitute or day in the life of a prostitute. Yeah, I mean, she's a, a secret prostitute, prostitute, so there's like a, you know, her husband doesn't know. So there's obviously tension there, but this is where like it kind of... The stakes are raised a yeah, little bit. Things kind of change dramatically. So the, uh, Hippolyte and Marcel are like these two criminal guys. We see them rob people and then come to the brothel. Uh, Marcel is like the younger of the two, and he claims the new girl, Belle de Jour, for himself. They kind of go off into a room, and Severine bizarrely offers herself for free, even on their initial viewing, which oh, I didn't pick up on. In. I didn't right. pick up on that the first time we saw it, because I know she offers for free again later, but yep. this time... Right off the bat, she's like, if you don't have money, don't even worry about it or whatever. <laughs> well, Which who is doesn't want to hear that? And so it's like, well, what does Severine see in Marcel? I've heard that before, and I was like, what are you talking about? I thought we were dating. <laughs> <laughs> she clearly has like a change in her demeanor. She's Something is changing with Severine now in the presence of Marcel. And I think Marcel is kind of like this ultimate emblem of the underworld trash yeah that is so far removed from severine's pristine perfect upper class life that she it's just eating it up yeah but i think as we're gonna find out i think marcel is more a symbol than anything else i don't know that she actually cares about him as a person but but isn't that always the case yeah, so they have their first sexual encounter. Seemingly more time is passing. We cut to a vacation that she goes on with her husband, Pierre, and she wants to get back to Paris because she kind of is having this recurring thing with Marcel at this point. When she gets back, Marcel is, like, pissed, and he takes, like, this giant belt off, and he starts to, like, hit her with it. And first she's just like, just don't hit me in the face. Right kind of retreating into her masochistic role. And this is like the one surprise. She can't have anything giving it away. Yeah. This is like, this surprised me because I I don't know exactly what, what the thought process is here, but Severine kind of like pushes back and it's just like, after he hits her like once with the belt, she's like, don't ever do that again or you'll never see me again or whatever. Oh yeah. And he stops and doesn't do it. Right. But it is strange I mean, Marcel, based on what we know about Severine because yeah, it's this like, is the isn't first this time what she wanted? Her pull a move like that. And so I do think that the idea of this kind of being a narrative about a woman taking control over her own sexual destiny kind of is justified when in this scene because it's like the interesting thing, and I, I watched some of the supplemental features on the Blu-ray and a couple of these uh, women – Uh, feminist professors were kind of discussing the film and they talked about the idea of what exactly is a rape fantasy and the idea behind it is it's never a real rape like you're never in real danger because ultimately in the fantasy you have control over every aspect of it because it's your fantasy and Marcel begins to hit her out of anger and she Sent, I think she almost senses a loss oh, yeah. of control, and she just shuts that shit she right shuts down. It down. Well, that's the thing. I mean, ultimately, what we're left with after all of this is 
really, it's just a bunch of dopes all drooling over this chick, and they act like a bunch of fools over it. I mean, she does have com- com- uh, complete control over these idiots. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, the men in this movie are very weird with a lot of their sexual hang-ups and different things that they want. I mean, a lot of times, she's, like, popping that bra off, and they're like, whoa, 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 Like, several times in this movie, they're like, no, 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 that's not what I want. Like, everybody's got their <laughs> own little weird thing. Certainly. And, yeah, I mean, if if she was playing a game, and she was, like, kind of allowing a, a particular scene to unfold with Marcel, where he was like, take off your clothes, like, lay face down on the bed, and, you know, used his belt on her, like, that way, but it was, like, all part of her game that she wanted, that's one thing, but when he is legitimately pissed and thinks it's okay to beat on her... She's not having no. So it's 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 kind of like this important distinction and here. Fucking backs down real quick. Well, what's he she, gonna do? Well, yeah. Once she threatens that, like you're not gonna see me again, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And it's clear though from his like rage, not that like you have to be an asshole like Marcel is here to prove anything, but. I mean, it's clear kind of in this scene and over the next couple of scenes between the two that his feelings for her are real. Oh, yeah. He but her feelings all in are not. Not really. I think she kind of sees him as, you know, this ultimate projection of what, what she can fantasize. Because he's got, like, metal teeth because his teeth were knocked out. He's got, like, oh, a yeah. nasty scar on his back. Fucked. He's... Uh, he carries around like this cane sword thing, and yeah, it's that's like, a strange move. I mean, he's like, you know, he dresses like a criminal basically, and he's, you know, the personification of like her darkest desires, and she's able to kind of use him as a projection. But he, his feelings, uh, you know, are becoming legitimate, and 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 so we're kind of seeing like a little bit of a spiral here for her. Yeah, Marcel uh, starts to go a little crazy. I mean, he's really. Uh, annoying to his comrade there well i will say that the only time in this movie where we're not seeing something from severine's perspective is time spent with hippolyte and marcel and i will say that it's unbearable really really it's kind of like what is this why is this in this movie (laughs) those two just like bickering yeah like them doing like shady deals and when they rob that guy or whatever it's like what is this but I will say, I will highlight... Yeah, that could have ended on the cutting room floor. There's a, a an exchange uh, at some point between Marcel and Severine that I think kind of really, you know, really states what is going on in this movie. Um, Marcel says, I don't get it. You seem to like being with me. Severine says, very much, but it's not enough. Marcel says, you love the other guy, meaning Severine's husband, Pierre. She nods. Then why are you here, he asks. She says, I don't know. They're two different things. Yep. And it's like she somehow has allowed her secret life to become so separate from her real life. And she needs like this like sexual release that unfortunately, I mean, maybe from his perspective, Pierre unwittingly kind of benefits from because as you mentioned, I think Severine... It's almost implied that she is now allowing him to have sex with her. Yeah, and I mean, isn't I, it's that never. A- I don't think it's ever a hundred percent clear, but I, I think that's like 
what they're implying. Really, at one isn't point. that attitude and portrayal kind of like what we're used to seeing out of the male characters, like like a Tony Soprano or Don Draper or something? Certainly, but, yes. Um, so it's a, it's kind of fun to see it with the uh, woman pulling that move and thing, things and, like and openly addressing it. I mean, things seem to be looking up from Pierre's perspective, at least on the surface, because he notices a change. She seems happier. He starts talking about having children. It's becoming like, okay, so our first year of marriage was kind of weird and rough, but like maybe things are taking a turn. She kind of is like, oh no, like pregnant. Because the pressure then of like this secret life is kind of weighing down on her. And obviously her Catholic upbringing is. She's got. She's carrying this guilt. I mean, she's able to compartmentalize it and like hide it in a corner. But I mean, obviously, the guilt is like overwhelming at this point. And then things kind of change forever when Hussan shows up at the brothel. Oh yeah. Which, to be honest, is is something she should have known was possible. I would say. I think I would always be thinking that that's going to happen. He told her this address. Right. It's like obviously he knows this place. Yes. At uh, first, known womanizer too. Yeah, I mean, at first, Severine freaks out. Some would out, say creep, even, and she's yelling and saying that she's going to jump out the window <laughs> rather than have sex with him. But then she finally is just like, "Fine, do whatever you want with me." And then it's kind of like this mystique of Severine is now ruined for him, and he just says no, and he's not interested. Well, yeah, he's always like, "I was always attracted to the prim and proper, just that like." pristine image the perfect woman or whatever but i I, i'm not into this that you're just or and maybe it's also the fact not just that she's a prostitute but it's like you've also lost that whole chase the fact that she's now in this position yeah she's in a position where she has to do it and he does i think the first time we meet husani mentions the chase because we see a couple of hot chicks walk by and he just talks about the chase or whatever yeah so i mean yeah that is definitely something tales all this time I mean, obviously, uh, if you're going to look at it from a feminist perspective, like Hussan's behavior throughout the film is disgusting. And then this is particularly jarring because he is basically living up to that idea that like her only value was her virtue, meaning right. she gives it away, then Although she's valueless are, as a person. Uh, several more dudes who find other values in her. <laughs> So then this segues into yet another fantasy sequence. This time it's like a, a an old-fashioned duel between Hussan and Pierre with guns. And Severine is tied to a tree. She ends up getting shot out of the whole deal somehow from, like, I guess a stray bullet. It's kind Not of a weird... favorite fantasy. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, but Hussan's arrival kind of forces her to quit the brothel, but... Madame Anise thinks she's quitting because of Marcel, which is also kind of true because Marcel yeah, because is Marcel's now obsessed. Getting motherfucking crazy. He's showing up all the time. He's freaking out when other men like Hussan are in a room with her. Right. And this leads Marcel to show up at Severine's house, which now her worlds are colliding. Yeah, this everything <laughs> is uh, crashing down. This house of cards that she built is yeah, tumbling mean, down. Because honestly, when Marcel shows up at her house, this is the belt incident times 10 because she's now lost complete control. Oh, and yeah. now she's in an environment where she's uh, vulnerable because her biggest fear, I think, is being found out Mar- at this Mar- point. Marcel, Marcel, you got to get out of here. Just 
get out of here. This is insane that you're in. He's like, okay, okay, I'll get out of here. Yeah, I mean, and I think, like, her, she's kind of, uh, Catherine Deneuve kind of comes to life in this scene because now the calm, detached Severine is gone, and she's kind of, her Panic eyes are mode. wild, yeah. and she's panicking. But somehow, yeah, she convinces Marcel to leave, but unbeknownst to her, though, he's just waiting outside, waiting for Pierre to return, and when he does, he shoots Pierre three times. Yep. Um, <laughs> Pierre is just like, what the hell? What did I do? And, yeah, and it's a mystery to everyone why Pierre is the target of this criminal, um, and it never—that's never really. Oh fully yeah, the explained. police are never, I guess, able to uncover her yeah. whole. Well, Marcel's life. shooting of Pierre kind of sends the film spiraling off the edge into a, a chase yeah. sequence. I appropriately, mean, this is definitely like a surrealist film, but now it's no longer even able to disguise that surrealist nature at all because now it becomes this wild police chase marcel ends up shot in the street this definitely has like a similar vibe to a lot of the other notable french and foreign films of this era i mean the ending of uh breathless from 1960 was the guy is shot in the street i mean it's like it's very there there's always like this kind of just been waiting to work a breathless reference in (laughs) it's always like this wild uh ending to these things that kind of spiral the end result is pierre can't walk see or speak he's totally dependent on severine yeah it's now. quite a wild turn for him uh he's got like the what? the gla- the dark glasses and he's in a wheelchair obviously no one understands why he was the target of this low-level criminal so in the kind of what's really the end sequence of the movie Hussan just compelled to kick a man while he's down yeah, Hussan arrives and tells Severine... Just kind of the douchiest friend move of all time. Yeah, he arrives and t- tells Severine that he's going to tell Pierre about what she had been doing at the brothel. Is that really necessary at this point? I mean, I feel like things are bad enough. Well, according to Hussan, this revelation will relieve some of the guilt Pierre is feeling for being a burden on such a, quote, virtuous wife. Meaning he thinks his wife is so perfect and on this pedestal, and she's so young and beautiful, and it's like now she has to basically take care of an invalid. By revealing uh, Severine's true nature to to Pierre... And her uh, her infidelities. Yeah, it'll make him feel less bad for, you know being this burden on her and so severine, what a mind fuck though we don't see Hussan tell him so we don't really know for sure what he says but severine goes back into the room and pierre's unable to speak at this point so he's not even really able to question severine about what he has just been told but we see what a single tear we do down see the some cheek. tears and severine kind of launches into like what is ultimately the final fantasy sequence where Pierre is suddenly fine and we hear the bells and we hear cats meowing and he's asking her just what she's thinking about and he's getting up and he's getting a drink and they're kind of embracing and saying they love each other and she opens up the balcony window and looks out and it's the carriage from the beginning of the film kind of strolling down the road even though outside of her actual apartment is a right. real road but the, we're back in the country all of a sudden and then with this carriage Finn yeah so i mean obviously uh a lot to process there that's true you're left uh with a lot of questions what exactly is the deal with the cats yeah and i think from everything that i've kind of understood about this like the 
the cats and the bells and everything are just you know the idea of regular everyday things they ultimately could be anything and those are the particular items that for some reason spark something in severine she's fetishized these things and made them a part of her elaborate fantasy world and there doesn't really need to be any more explanation to it kind of similarly to what you know is in the asian man's mystery box and all that stuff it's kind of just like the unknown is kind of what makes the film interesting and makes it work but yeah i mean it's kind of just a a really i mean shocking movie just for the a time, fun time. I mean, yeah I, I will say it, it certainly uh pulls you in and it, it's well done it, it's unique it's fun <laughs> it's dark i do love watching these criterion movies because sometimes it's like for these older movies that came out well before i was born it's like i just haven't seen most of them and you don't really expect a certain level of uh edge or like chances that uh, filmmakers would take at a certain time. Yeah, certainly like the subversive subject matter here is kind of jarring when you think like this came out in 1967, such right. a long time ago. I mean, it's it's funny. It's like clearly, you know, they're working around certain restrictions. Like, oh, you know, it's not like we see Severine's Bush or something, you know what I mean? Like it's we're not yeah, getting like full good, frontal good nudity, but yet uh, it's 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 one of those things where it's like if they had a scene of Severine getting out of the bathtub, a non-sexual scene where you see her fully nude, it's like that's not gonna fly. No, but a movie where she's fantasizing about being whipped and having mud and shit thrown in her face and being degraded, eh, <laughs> it, it gets right by because yeah. it's kind of just like you know it's. It's just this way of subverting restrictions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot to think about as far as reconciling, you know, your your kind of deepest, darkest sexual desires oh, yeah. with your real life. And a think piece, certainly a conversation starter. I definitely think that people's unwillingness to uh, embrace what gets them off is still a huge issue and probably always will be because people are always have hangups about sex and sex stuff. And so I think like it causes a lot of problems in the world that go well beyond just the sexual realm, you know, into like the political realm and into kind of social realms as well. You know, even if you want to take it to like the extreme and be like, you know, a lot of these people that are so anti-gay marriage and anti-gay rights who end up being closet homosexuals themselves because they can't accept that about themselves. You know, a lot of the people fighting hardest against things, you know, secretly are that thing or or whatever. (laughs) And it's like, you know, I don't want to compare being a homosexual to a fetish, but like... The idea there is still kind of the same thing. This unwillingness to accept one's own sexual desires, right. whatever that may I, be, I whether it's say, cats meowing or you know blowing a guy at a truck stop, whatever, yeah, I mean, whatever it is. Who doesn't have that old fetish? So, <laughs> I will say I do appreciate that this movie is appreciated by feminists because when you think about kind of like the whatever they are like the kind of faux feminists that are just kind of out there making statements <laughs> oh boy, to, here we go I, I don't know well it's just you'll hear stuff i i can see the reaction being like oh 
I, I think this this movie is, is really scary because uh, it just makes me think that now guys think that this is what women want. And it's like, no one thinks that. <laughs> I, I don't... It, it is well, just yeah, I mean, so that's, bizarre to me that's that def- someone would say that. I mean, it's like... You're yeah, completely I know. missing the point. Whatever it is. And you're projecting something on people that just no one would think. Yeah, I know. Other than fucking crazy people. Whatever. And there's nothing we can do about them. Whatever it is, whether it's Belle de Jour or Sam Rockwell's character in Three Billboards, it's like whatever the thing is, it's like people want to take something, a character from a film, and either the way that they act or the things that they say or whatever they do, and they want to then project that onto everybody or yeah, everything. just your normal everyday people who would never rather be than, like that or think like that what, what rather than just be like this is a character doing good bad whatever things whatever it is and then it's just we're just talking about that character like it's just that person right you know it's like Ro- rosamond what... pike in gone girl oh, no, is not yeah. like a symbol of all women right. and it's not like how we have to you know all women are gonna lie about being abducted and raped by Neil Patrick Harris or whatever, yeah. and then have I like these. Think the only generalization you could make about that character is yes, all women are that insane <laughs> and that villainous. All right, he's joking. Right. I just want to point out that uh, whenever we did the Less Than Zero episode, we were not aware yet of the Less Than Zero. I don't know if it's like a mini series or if it's a, a new television series, whatever it is that's coming to Hulu. Uh, which I found out about literally right after the episode posted and we tweeted out the link oh, yeah. to the episode. So that's exciting. That's fun. I wonder how that's going to go. The second time we've done an episode that's being of something that's being turned into a new series slash miniseries, whatever, with the new uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock coming to Amazon in the U.S. Uh, pretty shortly, I think within the next week or so. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yes. Um, uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Jamie Gertz actually going to be playing Blair again. I want to say that I watched <laughs> the episode of Seinfeld with Jamie Gertz in it last night. She seems to have changed her teeth you from think less than something's zero. Something's going on there. Well, it seems like she wasn't happy with the look that I found really that's sexy. That's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's the thing. It's like you know, I think you're fine the way you look. You don't need to go make changes. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I don't want to tell people what to do, you know, with their own mouths and bodies. No, I mean, come on. I do think we want you to do what you want. I do think that like a unique look is more interesting. I agree, and I think it's upsetting when someone wants to have some sort of surgery to change their appearance. But you know, everybody's—it's everybody's own body to make. Teach their own. So now that we've covered all of that. Uh, I will say this, if you're still listening, which I'm sure most of you are not, the I'm not going to say what the next episode is. It will be a movie much more of you have probably seen and are aware of. Uh, I, we, we just like to have a fun variety, and That's sometimes right. we're going to dip into that Criterion Collection. I mean, it, yeah, this won't be the, the last time, Club. honestly. Right. No, hopefully not. So every now and then, you know, will we ever do another wrestling episode? Maybe. Will we ever do... Much to the chagrin of the listeners. <laughs> will we ever do more TV episodes? Of course. We... <laughs> Although, I don't know. That might be the most unlikely. No, we have one in the pipeline. Okay. Um, the TVs are less frequent than they were when we started, but we're still doing them. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, 
Anyway, it wasn't the, that long ago that we did End of the Fucking World, right? True. That counts. The, yes. Netflix series. There may even be an audio commentary. I know Matt is oh horrified boy. at that. <laughs> but we haven't done one in forever. I think we can revive it. I did say. Give it one more shot. To Zach the other day, uh, of all the things that we've done with this show, including the first five episodes, which we aren't too proud of, including the minisodes, including the wrestling stuff... The one thing that I've never gotten any feedback about is the audio commentaries. <laughs> People well, just not in. If we do another that. audio commentary, it would it would still be a numbered episode, but it, it would feel more like a bonus. It wouldn't yeah. take away from anything Certainly, else that we're planning. Uh, for the Patreon listeners. <laughs> All right. And we probably will do like another give us a second at some point. We may not do it till after our episode on so, if you hung in there with us, thanks for listening. Yep. And, uh, uh, if you stuck through, I'll certainly be tweeting out an apology for the Rosman Pike joke. Certainly, lines were crossed. <laughs> uh, go ahead and wrap it up. All right. So, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. What makes you think love will end when you know that my whole life depends on See, I'm going to tell you the truth. If I found out my kids took money from an old lady, I might be fucking pissed off. What the fuck are we? Begging? Oh, or what's next? Why don't you get a fucking bowl and sit out in the fucking street and pretend you're blind? Now, if they told me I clipped an old lady for six fifty, I go like this. I better wet my beak on this or I pick up the fucking phone. I'm going to tell you a fucking um, true story. I was fucking younger, and uh, I'm in a bar, I'm all fucked up. Because I'm going to tell you the truth, I was real fucked up. So I wake up the next day, no fucking wallet. I call over to the place, 
bartender says, yeah, it's here. I head over there. He And I'm not fucking making up a bit of this. He goes like this. He goes, we found your wallet. Unfortunately, there was no cash in it. I says, is that right? Because I'm going to fucking call the police in a minute to let them know what's going on. And I go, this is the first thing I'm going to show them. I show them my fucking driver's license. I ain't 21. I got to fucking explain it to them. I'm in here drinking all night, underage. Boom, boom, boom. I wake up in the morning, no fucking cash. I said, go in that fucking till and start fucking stuffing this wallet up until everybody feels better about themselves. He goes, I'm guaranteeing you none of my guys. I said, I ain't fucking saying who. But I want to get this fucking wallet back up in the healthy fucking position that I apparently blacked out and left it in. You cock fucks. Now that guy, you know what he did wrong? What's that? He didn't burn that fucking wallet. He fucked up and he paid for it. And I fucking, I guarantee you, that guy has sat around for fucking weeks. Just fucking sitting there with a, like a fucking half a pull cue under the table going, I hope that little prick walks in here again. I'm going to fucking stab him in the back of the head. I fucking stayed away from that place for a while. So I grew myself a nice fucking porn mustache. Then I went back in there. Started fucking buying cocktails for people.